Welcome to the Vori's IP VIP podcast. My name is Jeremy Harrison, and I'll be your host for this episode. In this episode, Laura Geyer, an attorney with Vori's, joins me to discuss branding and trademarks. Laura provides practical tips and advice for companies looking to fortify their brands and select strong marks. And now here's my conversation with Laura. Welcome to the Vori's VIP podcast. Today, we're speaking with Laura Geyer. She's a partner in the DC office of Vori's, Sater, Seymour, and Pease, and the head of the trademark group. Laura's practice is focused primarily on trademark, copyright, and internet law issues, but she also counsels clients on other intellectual property issues related to social media and licensing. Laura received her bachelor's degree from Oberlin College, and she subsequently attended law school at American University Washington College of Law, where she graduated cum laude. Laura, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, great. Today, we're going to talk about branding and trademarks, and you're going to give us your words of wisdom about tips for companies that want to protect their brands. And all right, with that, let's just get into it. Uh, So, Laura, if you could kind of give us an idea, what exactly is branding as opposed to a trademark? Can you help us boil down those differences? Sure. Branding, as opposed to trademarks, is the overall image that you're conveying about your business, about its mission, about its the quality of its products. It can be expressed in your trademarks and also in the colors that you use, in the people that you choose to speak for you, your social media presence, all of that is part of your brand. Trademarks are a subset of a brand. So those are the protectable, individually protectable elements of your brand. So like Nike or just do it, those are trademarks, but they're part of a brand. Right. Yeah. So that's one good example of a company's brand as compared to its trademark. Nike has a philosophy, if you will, but their trademarks kind of support and enforce that philosophy. Right. Okay. Right. So, so how should a company approach branding in general? Well, the first thing that's really most important is to take a step back with your people or yourself when you first start and you have a vision. What are we selling? What are its qualities? Who do we want it? Who are we selling it to? What did they like? So you're, you have a vision, you understand your core target audience, you look at what your competitors are doing so that you can distinguish yourself from what they're doing. You want to keep your quality high. You want to just do everything that you can to figure out what it is you want to convey and then convey it. Right. So in today's environment, we have a lot of companies that feel the need to jump into the foray of political and social issues. What is your suggestion or what's your counsel to companies that that want to make a social or a political statement with their brands? I think it really depends on what your target audience is. If you understand them well, then you can be thoughtful and sort of okay in the political stances that you take. If those elide with your company's overall brand, with its image, with something that its customers like. One of the biggest mistakes that companies that sell to a broad audience, to the whole general public make, is to have, and it's often someone within the company, commit the self-inflicted wound of suddenly developing an opinion on a divisive subject. Mm-hmm. And you and your product is something that is sold in grocery stores to a broad array of people and at a low price point where there are a lot of competitors so that people don't need your product. So pasta is a good example for one of the major pasta brands. Several years ago, there was a kerfluffle where its CEO suddenly developed an opinion about something that he just expressed at some public event. 
and suddenly it was piling up in grocery stores because people wouldn't buy it because they could buy the same pasta, the same sort of pasta. Why do you need rotini from one company when you can just turn your eyes a millisecond away and pick a competitor's product at the same price point? Yeah, I may be, I don't think I'm unique. I think there's a, uh, for me personally, I buy a brand or I buy uh, products because I like the product. I don't necessarily look at the ideal, the ideology of the of the brand itself. But there are a lot of people in this uh, in, in the world that buy based on ideology and political standing. But uh, yeah, it's a touchy subject, especially today. But um, sure, well, absolutely. Let's move on a little bit. We talked a little bit about branding and how important it is to, to maintain that brand and, and represent exactly what you are and, and make sure you understand your target audience. But trademarks is a different thing. We're looking at intellectual property rights. So can you just boil down, what is a trademark at its core? A trademark, and a trademark is one of the oldest forms of intellectual property, is at its core, actually originally not something that was supposed to protect companies. It was supposed to protect consumers. And it did that by making sure that a certain product that's being sold under a symbol, a logo, was good quality, basically. That a customer could see a symbol, whatever it was, um, that conveys something, you know, that conveys source, and that it would be the same. So one of the best examples of trademarks, the oldest trademarks are trademarks associated with food and drink. They go back thousands of years to a time when uh, there would be a pub, a tavern, where um, there would be a sign hanging outside. Often it wouldn't be words, it would be symbols. Symbols are very powerful. And there was a lot of illiteracy at the time. So, So the symbols are the oldest trademarks. And a really good example of that kind of trademark is the Bass Red Triangle, which is the oldest registered trademark in the world. It registered in 1876 on January 1st, which was the first opportunity under a trademark act, this was in the United Kingdom, for a company to register a trademark. But the Bass Red Triangle had been in use for hundreds of years at that point. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to, to think that these trademarks have been around for so long. But what point does a, does a company think about seeking trademark rights versus their branding and, ha- and how the, the public actually perceives them? Would one take precedence over the other? Well, basically, you want to consider trademarks at the same time you're considering your brand because they're part of your brand. But of course, the choice of trademarks is something that your company, if it's a successful company, is going to be making again and again and again over the life of the company. You launch a new product, you want to call it something distinctive so that people will want to buy it and they'll understand that a certain symbol, logo, word represents that source in that product. So um, basically it's something that you do at the beginning and that you do all the time. And, and you want to make sure that your trademarks are strong and that they convey something about your company that supports your brand, but also indicates source in the product for a consumer. Right. So that they always know that Coca-Cola is a product of the Coca-Cola company. Sure. And, and, and then, then the trademark Sprite is a standalone. That's a trademark for a drink that the Coca-Cola company came up with later after they first launched with Coca-Cola. Okay. Yeah. So it, it sounds like branding is, it takes precedence over trademarks. You want to make sure that that goodwill that's built up among the public is maintained through your, uh, your, your trademarks and how you're actually advertising. Yeah. I mean, the goodwill is everything. 
that, that it's absolutely everything. It makes sure that you can continue to sell a product to your consumers and they'll want to continue doing it. If you do anything that damages your brand, you damage the goodwill in the company. Right. Is Coca-Cola still the, the most expensive trademark out there, the most expensive brand out there? I will tell you that the Coca-Cola bottle, the shape of the bottle, indicates source in Coca-Cola. Everybody knows if you see one of those little Coca-Cola bottles that it's a Coca-Cola product. Right. That is actually the most widely recognized trademark in the world. It's sold in countries. It's ubiquitous. Yep. I've lived in foreign countries and, you know, <laughs> it kind of feels like you're at home. When you, when you yeah, see absolutely. Like that. Absolutely. I think a lot of us have had that experience. You go to a foreign country and you see Coca-Cola on the menu or Coke and you buy it and it comes out in the little bottles and that tells you something. That's how strong that brand is. It tells you yeah. this is a Coca-Cola. All right. Let's move forward. So when it comes to trademarks, what are some, so what are some ways companies might go wrong in selecting a trademark? The first way that companies go wrong is they look at the competitors and then decide the competitor is doing well. I'm going to try and pick a trademark that's really close to what they're using so that I can kind of coattail on that. You put yourself at legal risk that the other company is going to notice and get mad. But also you haven't picked something that is unique. You haven't picked something that's part of your brand that conveys something original. And that sort of goes into another way that companies go wrong is that everybody likes to have trademarks that describe a product Mm -hmm. rather than actually developing a unique word and then spending the advertising money necessary to make it a trademark. But if you choose descriptive language and a really good example of that, it doesn't have to be a disaster, you know, because over 30 years, maybe it becomes a really distinctive trademark. But at the beginning, when American Airlines decided to launch, that was not a good mark because it's an American airline. It's purely descriptive. And over time, it became famous, which is a different issue, but that would not be a trademark that someone would generally recommend at the beginning. You want to pick something that's a a coined word, something that you brainstormed, or something that's arbitrary used with your business. And a good example of that is, have you used apples to sell apples? You know, you're not going to be able to get a registration for apples. That's just a word that means apples in connection with the product you sell. But apple for computers, that's arbitrary. It tells you nothing. There's no connection between the word Apple and computers, except for hundreds of millions of advertising dollars. So it takes time and money to develop a unique trademark and to tell the public that it's a trademark. But, But it's worth it because a descriptive mark runs the risk of people just not understanding it as a trademark. Yeah. So I think a classic, besides Apple, a classic example is Google. I mean, Oh, well, yeah. And and to give another example of of a way a company goes wrong, because Google is a really good example of it, and they almost can't help it. So Google, you know, people say Google something, which basically means search it on the Internet. I think Google has done a good job of, of making sure that it is perceived as a brand as well. I think we do understand that Google is a search engine at the same time as we're using it to mean a search engine. But a good example is that companies who fail to to protect their mark from becoming a byword, from becoming the word for the thing, 
Right. Um, and a really good example of that is uh, Kleenex for Kleenexes. Now that is still a trademark, but it's because the company on the brink of death of the trademark suddenly decided we're going to save this mark. We're going to spend a lot of money. We're going to tell people Kleenex brand tissues. Right. And I think Band-Aid did the same thing, didn't they? Correct. And uh, Velcro is another good example. In fact, Velcro had an ad with their law firm attorneys dancing and singing a song about Velcro. Really? It was great. So what's the uh, technical, uh, Velcro to me is Velcro. What, what is the, what is the, I mean, do you, you can't say Velcro brand fastener? Is that what it is? That is exactly right. Really? It's Velcro, it's a, it's a Velcro brand. But you, but Fastening yeah, this, system or something, yeah. The way that you're using it is a really good example. In fact, the company can only do so much. It's still sort of holding on by the skin of its teeth to that trademark. And they've done a really yeoman work in trying to, bring it back from the brink of death. But an example of a mark that is absolutely generic now is uh, linoleum. Linoleum was a trademark of the DuPont company. Cellophane was the trademark of the DuPont company. I, I think cellophane was DuPont. Those are now generic. Yeah. I think Xerox at one point was, was it having- They the almost issue? lost it. Yeah. They almost lost it. That's right. And, and that's called genericide. Yeah. When you allow your mark to die by allowing it to become the word for the thing. Yeah, they did a phenomenal job of, of keeping that. Well, 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 let's talk about first about, about maintaining or reinforcing your brand. Okay, well, so Laura, in your opinion then, so how do you suggest picking a good or a strong trademark then based on what we've just talked about? Well, what I tell clients is take the time to brainstorm some original words, play with words, go to the dictionary, think about your brand. Is it strong? Think about anything in the world, basically, words, symbols. Anything that can be unique for a product, it doesn't have anything to do with the product, doesn't mean anything, it's not descriptive. And then you, you come up with a list of them. And I tell clients, come up with a list of things that you've brainstormed. Google them. Sorry, Google. At, at a minimum. <laughs> at a minimum. At a minimum. To make sure that I, I cannot tell you the number of times that I will get a request for a trademark search. And the first thing I do is put it into a search engine and find that there are three other people using it already. Well, that was a waste of time and money. So the, the best way to do it is to just brainstorm a list of things. Don't get attached to any one trademark until you've asked competent trademark counsel to do a search. Yeah. Searches cost money. They cost money because they save money, which is a quote out of the movie Moonstruck that I always like. So it, it always pays to go to your trademark counsel and say, here's a list of trademarks that we're considering. Please tell us if these are clear. Your competent trademark counsel will do proprietary searches on databases that are both federal and state coverage. And then we'll also do common law searches to make sure that there aren't lengthy users of the same trademark out there. And then you've just saved yourself such a hassle if you kill a mark at that point or pick a mark at that point, then you can yeah. feel confident that it was a good choice. So how much can somebody expect to pay for a competent search? Oh, well, um, you're going to see something in the range of 1200 to $5,000, depending on what level of search someone wants to do. You know, we tell people to expect around $1,500 for a preliminary trademark search, which will tell you whether a mark should be killed, basically. And often what we'll say also is that you do simpler searches to knock out things. 
from your list that you've brainstormed. And then once you've picked a mark, you think I'm gonna spend a lot of money on this mark, then you have your council do a fuller comprehensive search. Almost all law firms call it that, comprehensive or full search. And that involves ordering a search report from a company that does that and then analyzing it and bringing your own expertise to bear on interpreting that report for your client. Right. Yeah, I'm a big proponent of that. I, yeah. There's no use in wasting your money if there's something already out there. So spend Correct. the money at the beginning so you don't end up wasting it in the, in the uh, later uh, time period. Absolutely. You don't want to be penny wise, pound foolish. Yeah. All right, let's switch gears and talk about maintaining and reinforcing your brands. What, what are some keys to protecting your brand or maintaining a, a, a trademark? What you want to do is make sure that the trademark is used consistently in the way that you've registered it. You don't allow marketing creep to slowly change away from the trademark, the main trademark that you're using or, or whatever trademarks you're using. You want to make sure that your marketing people understand trademarks. And then you make sure that both your company and your licensees, if you have them, are using the trademarks in a consistent way. Usually a company will have branding guidelines. Some companies have really strict branding guidelines so that um, another seller, licensee, or franchisee is always using the trademark the same way. Basically what can happen is if you move away from your trademark, your main trademark or whatever trademark you're, you're choosing, you're self-diluting it. You're, you're basically making your mark weaker by yourself using brands that are a little bit off what your brand is. So yeah. different color, the word is a little different. And then the other thing I would say is that that leads into a, a moment. If you find that a trademark use has crept, that you're using a slightly different design, well, maybe that's time if it's different enough, you want to register that trademark. Say, okay, we're going to use that too. A good example of something that happened with McDonald's is that they they noticed that people were using Mickey D's to mean McDonald's. Right. And they could have just said, we don't want people to do that or we're not going to, but they embraced it and they registered it. They're like, okay, we're going to take that and use it. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's a great way is to watch what your customer base is doing. If they like your mark, sometimes they'll play with the words and then maybe you get that as a trademark. Yep. And I, I think we've talked about the examples of Xerox and Kleenex and things like that. If you're not policing and, and maintaining those brands, then you could actually end up losing them because they become generic. That's right. Or if you have a trademark that's really popular, everybody wants to copy things that are really popular in that work. So if you have a trademark that's really distinctive and you love it and you want to protect it forever, you also want to look at competitors and at other people in the market to make sure that people aren't copying you. Right. And actually, one of the ways that you can do that, again, with your competent trademark counsel is to have watch services set up and the watch services will report to your lawyer any potentially infringing close to your mark kind of reg applications to register a trademark. And then you decide, am I going to go after that in the trademark office or on the ground, whether I want to send a cease and desist letter and take action against a company that's using a mark that's too similar to yours. Yeah. All right. We're coming up to the, to the end of our, of our podcast time here. So I, I want to kind of give you a scenario. Maybe we can end on this. And so let's just assume that there's a company that's been operating for about 10 years and now they're just paying attention to IP 
intellectual property and trademarks at this point. What options does a company have? What, what do you think they should be doing after 10 years of, uh, of operating? Right. Well, that's a great time for a company to sit back and conduct an audit of their trademark use. And, and what they do is, I mean, honestly, sometimes the very first thing to do is pull up your website and see what you're doing. Sometimes the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. Mm -hmm. Corporate doesn't know what marketing has been used. So you, you sit down and you, you look at what words, what symbols, what slogans are being used by your company. And then you decide, are these registrable? You ask your trademark lawyer to, to run searches to see if they can be registered in the trademark office. You can also find out if they're problematic. So you can say, well, this mark that we're using has kind of been okay. We've kind of flown under the radar, but maybe we want to move away from it because it's something too similar to a competitor. And, uh, and so then you, you're looking, you make a huge list of everything that you're using as a trademark. And then that's an opportunity also to bring some consistency and some focus to your brand, yeah. your brands, your branding, how, how, how trademarks are conveying what you want to convey. And you might want to eliminate some trademarks. We're going to stop using those. You might look back at some, some old uses. I love it when a company talks to its oldest employees or calls an old CEO and says, do you remember some things that we're using? Do you have old material? And so a lot of companies recently actually have been using retro marks as part of their campaign. I was at the grocery store the other day and I saw a Doritos bag. And I, I that was the one they were using when I was a kid. Yeah, it's appealing. Those. People remember it. We like the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So is it ever too late to pursue a trademark? Would you ever counsel a client to stand down and just rely on their public goodwill and recognize brand instead of seeking a trademark registration? Really, the time when you're not going to register a mark is if you've been using a mark for a long time, you've never had a problem with it. But there are all kinds of reasons why a mark won't go through the trademark office. The trademark office isn't looking at use on the ground. The trademark office is looking at other trademark registrations that came before yours and deciding whether there's a problem with it on the register. That doesn't mean that you can't continue using your trademark. I always do recommend that if someone has a longstanding trademark, that they, that they check it out, that they see if they can register it. Because registration conveys some um, privileges that an unregistered mark doesn't have. You know, it conveys presumptive nationwide rights and the trademark office will police your mark for you. It'll, it'll look at uh, your, it'll look at your registration when someone comes with a new registration, if they think it's too similar, they'll refuse it. So there is some advantage to being registered, but there's no reason to stop using a mark that's working for you just because it can't be registered. That's just a separate question. Okay. Well, good. Laura, it's been a, it has been a pleasure speaking with you today and delving into branding and trademarks. Do you, do you have any final thoughts, any words of wisdom you want to leave us with? Just use good original marks. Don't waste your time and money on marks that are too like a competitor's or marks that are boring or use really descriptive language. Spend the time and the money to come up with original marks that help convey good things about your company and your products. Yeah. Great. Great advice. Thanks again, Laura, for being a uh, guest on this podcast. I'd like to invite you back sometime, maybe discuss copyrights or internet domains. Of which you, have a, you also have a wealth of knowledge in that. I think it'd be of interest to our audience. Thanks for your time. Thank you. It's good to be here. This has been an episode of the Boris IP VIP podcast. Thanks for listening. 
If you have any questions or would like to speak to either myself or any of the guests, please feel free to reach out to us. You can contact us through Vori's website or via the Vori's Intellectual Property Updates webpage on LinkedIn. If you have a suggestion for a podcast topic or would like to recommend a particular guest, we'd love to hear from you. My name is Jeremy Harrison, and I hope you can join us next time. Thank you.